Sundays give me a headache. <laughs> so, so I have heard people remark. You ever feel that way? Let's see if we can paint the picture for you. Does the following scenario sound at all familiar to you? As you're walking in the front door of the church or the back door, you're thinking, day of rest? Ha! Tell that to the alarm clock. Then tell it to me after I've overslept for an hour. Then it begins, rush into the shower, rush to get the kids dressed, rush out of the house, leaving dishes and spilled milk on the table and half the shades still down in the house. Rush into the car, and then once the seatbelts are all buckled up, rush back into the house for the forgotten Bibles. By now, it's going to be a miracle if you make it before the announcements are over. What a headache. The kids want the radio, the spouse wants to talk, the baby wants out of the car seat, the guy in front of you wants to sightsee, and you want to fly, and the police will want to see your license and registration. <laughs> and finally, after you park the car, stop the kids from arguing, and get to the nursery, you walk through the doors, you paste on a fake smile, you get to your seat, you force down some ibuprofen, and you stand to sing, It Is Well With My Soul. Welcome to worship. What a day. What a headache. There's got to be a better way. Another way. Many of us would agree with the guy who after a Sunday morning of particularly stressful activity turned to the person sitting next to him in church and said, oh, I'm sure glad there's only one day of rest per week. I'd burn out if we had to go through two days of rest like this every seven days. And he's right. That not-so-hypothetical scene reminds me of a story that I once read about a man who went to his physician complaining of chronic headaches. And the doctor asked him if he smoked, and he said, yes, I do. Well, stop smoking, suggested the physician. So he stopped, but the headaches didn't. And so he went back, do you drink? Well, yeah, I drink quite a bit. Well, stop drinking. And so he stopped, and the headaches persisted. Are you engaged in physical labor that would in some way put pressure on your back? Yes, I am, confessed the man. The doctor said, well, find another job. So he quit his job and took another position, but his headaches still continued. Day after day, the pain just pulsed through his, his head. And finally, after weeks of pain and futile solutions, the doctor discovered the nature of his problem. You see, he was wearing shirts with a size 15 collar on a size 16 neck. No wonder he had a headache. Superficial problems, as one man has said, call for superficial solutions. But real life isn't like that. The headaches and the stresses of life go a whole lot deeper than that. They penetrate right down to the heart and to the soul of a person's life. They need penetrating solutions, not just superficial ones. What's the answer for the turbulent lives that we lead? Well, the answer is found, I believe, in the fourth commandment, Sabbath rest. It's a penetrating solution, one which, when practiced correctly and with the right motive, touches every area of the treadmill life that we lead. And the Lord knows we need it. 
One handful of rest is better than two fists full of labor and striving after wind, said Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 6. The 18th century Christian poet William Cowper said this, said, A life all turbulence and noise may seem to him that leads it wise and to be praised. But wisdom is a pearl with most success sought in still waters. Note the terminology, and it echoes what we sang just a moment ago. Still waters. Reminds me of what Psalm 23 says about a healthy relationship with the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside the still waters or the quiet waters. And he restores my soul. Note the terminology there. He makes me to lay down. And then he restores my soul. And that has both physical and spiritual implications. Years ago, a TV advertisement for a famous liniment promised that it would penetrate deep into sore muscles, bringing fast, soothing relief from aches and pains. You know what that was? Ben Gay. But that's a vivid description of the heart of Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. And you can turn there if you have your Bibles with you. Oh, and I would suggest very strongly that you bring your Bibles or your tablets or whatever it is, but I want you to have the Word of God in front of you for the next few weeks as we dive into a, this topic that I'm going to be talking about. It's important that you know what the Word says. And I don't want you to just hear it. I want you to see it. Sabbath rest is like the spiritual Bengay of, of sorts. Sabbath rest is the salve of the soul. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord, your God. In it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, deep in the heart of this fourth commandment lies a principle extremely relevant to our 21st century frenetic lifestyles. A revitalized relationship with God rests in a renewed respect for his day. That's what I want to really reiterate today. When we respect and reserve time for God, we are restored to life. Gordon MacDonald once remarked this. He said, the world and the church need genuinely rested Christians. Christians who are regularly refreshed by true Sabbath rest. The problem is we don't know what to do with the Sabbath. We don't know what to do with rest. 
Author A.J. Swoboda writes, Sabbath goes against the very structure and the system of the world that we have constructed. Sabbath then becomes a kind of resistance to that world. Sabbath is an alternative lifestyle. Remember that. It's an alternative lifestyle that goes against everything our world knows. I, for one, am convinced that all of us need to learn how to achieve some spiritual R&R. It is not a luxury. It is a necessity. Observing the Sabbath cannot save your soul, but it very well may save your life. God knew that, and we need to. We need to know a few things about the God-ordained Sabbath and how it relates to us both practically and theologically. So I want to take some time to look at this topic over the next uh, few weeks. Now, I need to make a disclaimer and tell you how I arrived here. When, when in Scotland this last time, my wife and I went, uh, during a candid conversation, uh, with a pastor, I was asked by the young pastor of the church that we attend there in St. Andrews, this question. He says, after 30 years of preaching, 22 years in radio ministry, what has been the most controversial topic that you've addressed? In other words, what subject matter have you preached on that has prompted the most challenging feedback that you've received from people? What would you think that would be? You don't have to say anything, but just think in your mind what that might be out of all the topics that I could address. I answered immediately. I said, that's easy. And you would never guess what that topic is in a million years. Hands down, it's the topic of Sabbath. He was totally shocked. He didn't believe me. And so in light of that, why, you may ask, am I starting a new miniseries on that topic? Well, first, because someone has recently and honestly asked about it. Secondly, because I need to address it and humbly learn about it again. And it's interesting to me that the first word in the command here is what? Remember. And so I'm preaching on this topic, hoping it will be received as a welcome reminder to those who have forgotten and also as necessary instruction for those who have never really heard about or experienced true Sabbath rest. And trust me, I'm no expert at this. First of all, I'm not Jewish. That's going to play into this discussion quite a bit. I am no expert. I, I offer no perfect one-size-fits-all system of practice, but I will attempt to do as I have always done from this pulpit when addressing this topic or any topic, is to communicate biblical truth in a relevant way in order to affect spiritual change. That's my mission. And with that in mind, let's take a stab at making sense of the Sabbath, okay? First of all, very first thing we need to address is we need to know what it was originally. We need to know what it was originally. First of all, the first thing you need to understand here is it was a personal command. If I were to translate verse 8, I would say 
even render it this way, each one of you remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. This is the first of only two positive commands in the entire body of the Ten Commandments. Did you know that? It begins not with a prohibition like the others, but a prescription. It's proactive. God said, remember this day. Mark it out. Commemorate it. It's important. It's necessary. And it's indicative of your relationship to me. God wasn't just telling them to remember it in their heads. It wasn't designed to be an intellectual exercise. It was proactive. They were to remember it actively. Keep it holy, God said. Set it apart. Keep it unique. Make it different than all the other six. Keep it clean, ceremonially and morally. Not just by outward rituals, but make it special inside your heart. In your attitude, in your soul, reserve it in your heart for me. That's what he was saying there, I believe. It's interesting that out of all Ten Commandments, this one is probably the least one remembered, probably the least one practiced. It's the one most people forget to mention when you ask people what the Ten Commandments are. Yet this commandment is one of the most emphasized in the entire Old Testament. It's repeated more often and is referred to by the prophets as one of the most significant institutions of God in Israel's history. It was unique to them. And it was serious business to God. This command to keep this day holy was a new command to Israel, by the way. It was not something that God had ever demanded of them before. True, the Genesis account of creation alludes to the uniqueness of the seventh day. But until the Ten Commandments were given here in Exodus chapter 20, regular observance of the Sabbath was not demanded in the Old Testament. Did you know that? And it is significant to note that this command was given specifically to the nation of Israel. As John MacArthur points out, we find no hint in the Old Testament that God expected the Gentile nations to observe the Sabbath, or are they ever condemned for failing to do so in the Scripture? That is certainly strange if God expected all peoples to observe the Sabbath as a matter of demand or command. There is also no evidence of anyone ever keeping the Sabbath before the time of Moses. It was clearly a new command given uniquely to his people. In fact, there are no observable commands in the Bible to keep the Sabbath before the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, save one. The Lord laid the groundwork for this practice just one week prior to Moses receiving it on the mountain in Exodus chapter 16. So just turn back a little bit to Exodus chapter 16. And a few verses out of this chapter. Verse 23. Exodus 16 verse 23. Then he said to them. This is what the Lord meant. Tomorrow is a Sabbath observance. A holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake. And boil what you will boil. And all that is left over put aside to be kept until morning. Verse 26, six days you shall gather it. They're talking about the manna. 
But on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Verse 29, see, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you bread for two days on the sixth day. Remain every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. And so the people rested on the seventh day. I want you to know something here. Bible trivia fact. Verse 23 is the first time that the actual word Sabbath occurs in the Old Testament as a designated day of observance. Okay? Very first time. Here we find that the Sabbath was to be reserved as God's personal day and respected as God's personal gift. It was a personal command. But it wasn't just simply a personal command. It was also a purposeful command. The purpose of the Sabbath is rooted in the creation account. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. Genesis 1, verse 31. And a few verses after that. This is the creation account. The conclusion of it. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their hosts. And by the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day. He rested from all his work, which he had done. And then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it, he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Note the repetition of the word rested. You know what that word rested is in the Hebrew language? Sabbath. Now I just told you that the first occurrence of the word was in Exodus 16, 23. That, remember what I said, it's the first occurrence of the word Sabbath as a designated day of observance. But here in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, the word rest or rested literally means to cease or desist from work. And it's the word Sabbath. The basic thrust here is to sever or to put an end to labor, to rest. God rested from his labor on the seventh day. Did he need it? No. Was he exhausted? from all of his creation? No. Of course he didn't need it. Of course he wasn't exhausted. But nevertheless, he rested. And he thereby set that day apart as unique. It was unique in pace. There was a change to the normal routine of life. Labor ceased. His creation routine stopped. It behooves us to note that the day of rest comes before the fall, by the way. Before sin entered the world. Before the curse on the land and the curse on the results of man's labor came into effect. In other words, rest was not the result of the devil's work or the consequence of sin. As one man put it, as we were made to eat, breathe, and walk, we were made from the foundations of the world to rest or to Sabbath in God. 
You following me so far? We're going to take time to do a lot of tedious work today to say, lay the groundwork and the foundation for what's going to come in the next few weeks. So don't lose me on this. I hope I don't lose you. It's going to be necessary to lay this groundwork. So, Sabbath rest comes before sin or the fall. The whole thrust of Sabbath is rest. Jesus clarified the issue in Mark chapter 2 and verse 27 when he flatly stated that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. By the way, an interesting note, if you read through the creation account, we always say that the creation of man was the apex of God's creation, of the creation account, right? Sabbath rest was. That's the last thing that God did. Sabbath was the culmination of all of creation. That's important to understand. The purpose for this setting apart of this day were both practical and spiritual. And the principles behind those purposes carry through to us today. So what are some of the purposes behind this day? Well, first of all, turn back to Exodus chapter 20. We find out that one of the purposes is to rest from our labor. Verse 10. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male or female servant, or your cattle, or your sojourner who stays with you. The Sabbath was made for man. God needed no rest from his labors, but you and I certainly do, don't we? That is a result of the fall. His provision of a time to rest, to refresh ourselves and recuperate, shows his intense love and his concern for our well-being. As I recently read, our need for rest is like gravity. It just is. Right? Our feelings and opinions cannot change that. Humans need rest. Animals need rest. The land needs rest. We may choose to ignore that, that need for a while, but you know what? Gravity always wins, doesn't it? It always wins. In this command, the Lord entitles everyone and everything under creation to rest. Stuart Briscoe said it this way. He said, if you keep the violin strung at concert pitch all the time, it'll break. People can't keep going full tilt, needle pegged, operating at the red line seven days a week, week after week, month after month. Something's going to give, my friend. Animals can't work seven days a week. Land can't be farmed year after year after year after year. God says, give it a rest. I demand it. The man who operates on a dead run continuously will find himself running dead in a short amount of time. I once read something quite intriguing to me. Did you know that bowling pins need rest? How many bowlers do we have in this, in this crowd today? Wow. No bowlers. That's pretty good. No wonder you wouldn't know that. Bowling pins need rest. That's right, they do. 
It seems that every couple of weeks, this particular bowling establishment I read about would remove all of their pins from service and put them on the shelf for a week, alternating them with another full set of pins. And do you know why they did this? So the bowling pins could rest. I know what you're thinking. Come on, Russ, really? Give me a break. Bowling pins need to rest? I can see the, the looks. Apparently, the owners discovered that if the wooden pins don't rest, they lose their vitality. They won't be as alive when struck and bounced the way that they should. It seems that all this knocking around works hardship on these pins, and eventually it takes its toll on them. But if you give them a week of rest and set them in a corner, they'll come back stronger and with, with more life than ever. Now, having my own doubts about this, I did a little research on my own, and lo and behold, it's absolutely true. Most bowling centers, I found, will have at least two sets of pins. This way, the operator can rotate out one set midway through the bowling season and allow those pins to rest while using the other set. If consistently rotated, a set of pins will last three good seasons of league play before a center operator needs to purchase new ones. Pin life can be stretched beyond that, but the quality of play will absolutely go down. So when you go to bowl, and we take youth groups to the bowling alley, and you bowl during the summer when league's not in session, guess what pins they use? The dead ones. They keep the live ones for league play. And when they give a pin to a kid at a birthday party, that pin is absolutely useless. It's going to get thrown out. That's why they give it away. Now, you may or may not choose to believe what I'm saying about bowling pins. Go ahead, look it up. But the principle is true. And it's true about soil and clothing and machinery and animals. And you know what? Especially about people. I'm convinced that God had a bit of insight on his own creation, aren't you? Don't you think he knows something about what you and I need? God ordained Sabbath rest for our refreshment. Exodus chapter 23 again in verse 12 says, You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but on the seventh day you must stop working. This gives your ox and your donkey a chance to rest. It also allows your slaves and the foreigners living among you to be refreshed. That's what it says in Exodus 23, 12 in the New Living Translation. That's also why he instituted not just the Sabbath rest, the Sabbath day, but he instituted sabbatical years as well. Hold your finger in Exodus 20. Turn to Leviticus 25. Leviticus 25. Beginning in verse 2. Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I shall give you, then the land shall have a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its crop. But during the seventh year, the land shall have a Sabbath rest, 
a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field, nor prune your vineyard. Your harvests after growth you shall not reap, and your grapes of untrimmed vines you shall not gather. The land shall have a sabbatical year. All of you shall have the Sabbath products of the land for food, yourself and your male and female slaves and your hired man and your foreign resident, those who live as aliens with you, even your cattle and the animals that are in your land shall have all its crops to eat. Rest. You know what this meant? We're going to get into this later on. But just think about it now. Sow your fields for six years. And trust that God's going to give you enough crop to last you through the seventh year when you're commanded to rest and let the land rest. This was an act of trust and dependence upon God. So when we're just cranking out the work and we think we don't have time to slow down and rest, guess what? You're not trusting God. Psalm 127 says he gives to people in their sleep those who rest in him. Rest is serious business to God. He insisted that even during the busiest times that we need rest and we should rest. Exodus 34 verse 21 says this, you shall work six days but on the seventh day you shall rest even during plowing time and harvest, you shall rest. In other words, just because the harvest is here, just because you need to plow, it doesn't mean that you can just jettison that seventh day of rest. You're not too busy to trust in me and to rest. In Israel, the Jewish homemaker couldn't even build a fire or cook meals on the Sabbath. It was forbidden. She had to cook the meals the day before so she could enjoy the restful peace of the Sabbath day. I agree with the man who said, this is a far cry from the incredible, filled up, pressurized day that many evangelical Christians tend to make of their day of rest. Hence the way I opened the sermon today. Don't misunderstand me now. The Sabbath was not a day of total inactivity. The priests still performed their duties in the tabernacle. Sacrifices were still made. Circumcisions were still performed, etc., etc. The idea of this day was a cessation from the normal labor of the work week. It was rest from the tyranny of the urgent. God ordained rest not as a luxury, my friends, I'll say it again, but as a necessity. It's necessary for growth and maturity. It's necessary for trust. It's necessary for living life in a God-glorifying way. History actually bears that out, by the way. During the French Revolution, Sunday as a day of rest was abolished in France. Did you know that? In 1793, in an effort to increase human productivity, France de-Christianized the calendar by modifying the seven-day week to a 10-day week with disastrous results. Suicide rates skyrocketed. People burned out and production actually decreased. Why? Because it turns out that humans were not made to work nine days and rest only one. We were made to work six days and rest one. And by the way, 
your ears should perk up because there's a large contingency right now. There's a lot, a lot of people that want to go back to that calendar. I just had this discussion in Scotland with my son just a few months ago. There's a whole group of people that are pushing for that. We ought to learn something from France. Don't mess with God's rhythms. The seven-day rhythm is sacred. God instituted it. The seven-day week is not the result, my friends, of human ingenuity. Rather, it is a reflection of God's brilliance. God has given us a divine pattern and purpose in the Sabbath. First, to rest from labor. And then second, here's another purpose for Israel, for sure, to remember his deliverance. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male or female servant, or your ox or your donkey or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you so that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember, underline that, remember. That's what God said, wasn't it? You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, therefore, remember that you were a slave. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. The Sabbath was to be kept holy because Israel was a redeemed people. It was to be not only a time of rest, but a time of reflection. Remembering that their freedom, their deliverance, the fact that they were even a people at all was because of God's saving work. They did nothing to deserve that. They did nothing to bring that about, but God ordained the Sabbath specifically for Israel as a reminder of the fact that their lives rested totally in God. God was sovereign over them. For Israel, the Sabbath was given for the purposes of restoration, for reflection, and also, there's another one, for revelation. Third purpose here is to reveal their unique relationship to God. Exodus chapter 31. Exodus chapter 31. In verse 12, verses 12 to 17. This is particularly noteworthy, so I want you to really focus on this, okay? Hear what it's saying, because this is going to come into play when we talk about the way that we practice Sabbath in, in a future message. Chapter 31, verse 12. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, but as for you, speak to the sons of Israel saying, you shall surely observe my Sabbaths for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Therefore, you are to observe the Sabbath, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death, for whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Think God's serious about Sabbath here? 
For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath of complete rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall surely be put to death. So the sons of Israel shall observe the Sabbath to celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. Again, it is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he ceased from labor and was refreshed. The Sabbath was a sign, a marker. The rainbow was a sign to Noah of God's unique relationship to his chosen people, right? Circumcision was a sign, a covenant made with who? Abraham. And the Sabbath was a sign of God's covenant with Israel under who? Moses. Similarly, this is just an aside, communion is a sign of the new covenant in the New Testament with us. But we'll get to that later. By celebrating the Sabbath as God ordained that they should, they stood out, Israel stood out among all the other nations revealing their unique relationship with God. You get that? To ignore the command and break the Sabbath was tantamount to severing their relationship with God. That's really what this, the thrust of this text is saying. That's why it's so serious. It was an indication that a person wanted nothing to do with God. To break the Sabbath basically was to spit in God's face. It was to act defiantly. And in the Old Testament, it carried dire, dire consequences. Numbers chapter 15, verse 30. Numbers chapter 15, verse 30 through 36. We read these words. But the person who does anything defiantly whether he is a native or an alien, that, that one is blaspheming the Lord and that person shall be cut off from among his people because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment. That person shall be completely cut off. His guilt will be on him. Now, while the sons of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering wood on the Sabbath day. Those who found him gathering wood brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. And they put him in custody because it had not been declared what should be done to him. And then the Lord said to Moses, the man shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. And so all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Serious business, wasn't it? Exodus chapter 35 Exodus 35, verses 1 to 3. 
And Moses assembled all the congregation of the sons of Israel and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a holy day, a Sabbath of complete rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall not kindle a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. Do you see why the Pharisees were so irate at Jesus for doing miracles on the Sabbath? Of course, they had it all wrong, and we're going to see that later on. But keeping the Sabbath became the spiritual thermometer for Israel. Their failure to observe it revealed a laxity in their relationship with God. We see that in Ezekiel chapter 20, in verse, beginning in verse 11. This is God's dealings with Israel and Ezekiel's prophesying and rehearsing them. In verse 11, I gave them my statutes and informed them of my ordinances by which if a man observes them, he will live. Also, I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them that they may show that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. But... The house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes, and they rejected my ordinances, by which if a man observes them, he will live, and my Sabbaths they greatly propained. And then I resolved to pour out my wrath on them in the wilderness to annihilate them. But I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations, before whose sight I had brought them out." Also, I swore to them in the wilderness that I would not bring them into the land which I had given them, flowing with milk and honey, which is the glory of all lands. Because they rejected my ordinances, and as for my statutes, they did not walk in them, and they even profaned my Sabbaths, for their heart continually went after their idols. Yet my eye spared them, rather than destroying them, and I did not cause their annihilation in the wilderness. So Ezekiel is prophesying now why God's wrath is coming down on them. Why they were going to go into captivity, or why they were in captivity, actually. In fact, one of the stated purposes for Israel's Assyrian and Babylonian captivities is that the land would enjoy the Sabbaths that the Jews failed to observe all those years. Leviticus chapter 26 and verse 27, start there, 27 and 28. Yet if in spite of this you do not obey me but act with hostility against me, then I will act with wrathful hostility against you, and I, even I, will punish you seven times for your sins. Skip down to verse 34. Then the land will enjoy its Sabbaths all the days of the desolation while you are in your enemy's land. Then the land will rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. All the days of its desolation, it will observe the rest which it did not observe on your Sabbaths while you were living on it. You get that? They failed to observe it. But God said, I've had it. We're going to force you now. You're going into captivity for this and many other sins. But this was one of them. So that my land can, can rest for all the years that you didn't allow it to rest. 2 Chronicles 36, verse 20 and 21. Those who had escaped from the sword, he carried away to Babylon. He's 
talking about Nebuchadnezzar taking Israel into captivity. Those who had escaped from the sword he carried away to Babylon, and they were servants to him and to his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia. Why? Verse 21. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. That's pretty instructive, isn't it? Pretty telling. All the days of its desolation, it kept Sabbath until 70 years were complete. The Sabbath was that important to God. God gave it as a gift, but they began to treat it like dirt. They used it to carry on business as usual. They secularized it and they ignored it, revealing the shallowness of their covenant relationship with the Lord. See, the Sabbath was a gift to God's people. It was given as an act of grace. It allowed much needed time to rest and refocus, and it reflected the condition of their spiritual relationship to God. Yet as serious as the penalty was for breaking it, the blessings for honoring it were far more incredible. Isaiah chapter 58, and you don't have to look there, but take it as note. Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah said. If because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable and honor it, desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own word, then you will take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You see what the blessings would have been? That's what the Sabbath was originally. But next week, I'm going to show you what it became once religion got a hold of it. What it became religiously. You see, by the time Jesus hit the scene, the Jewish pendulum had swung completely to the other side. Instead of Sabbath being desecrated by their total indifference to it, it was destroyed by their meticulous observance of it. And that's just as bad. All the legalisms that they brought in. And that's what we're going to look at next time. So that, why? So that we remember. To remember what we should not do with the Sabbath, as well as what we should do with it. As author Mark Buchanan skillfully wrote, memory is identity. Memory grounds us in who we are, where we've come from. Memory shapes us and guides us. Future identity and destiny, in other words, flower from the remembrance of things past. To remember is literally to put the broken pieces back together again. To remember. Get it? It is to create an original wholeness out of what has become scattered fragments. How many people feel like their lives are scattered fragments all the time? Well, Sabbath can help you remember. I'm going to talk about that. See, at times, memory traps us. But just as often, it frees us. Last night, my granddaughters were over for the evening and we had a little movie night and 
The movie I picked out for them that we watched is called The Kid. Great movie. It's one of my favorites. It's, a, it's, it's all about putting life back together again when it's fragmented. The kids can understand it. It's the story of a man played by Bruce Willis, a callous and jaded and ruthless man who makes piles of money spinning people's images. He's an image consultant. His success depends upon his hardness. It depends upon his lack of emotion, lack of feeling, just getting the job done. But in the alchemy of movies, what happens is he meets himself as a chubby, timid, tender-hearted kid. In other words, when he was eight years old, that kid comes back to meet him when he's an adult. In the exchange, he rediscovers who he really is, who he was meant to be. His childhood self helps his adult self capture, recapture his true identity. And his adult self helps his childhood self become that identity. The encounter becomes redemptive in the end. But first, he has to remember. He has to piece his broken self back together again. You know what, folks? There's a terrible, terrible cost to our busyness. It erodes our memory. Busyness destroys the time we need to remember well. And in the confusion, we forget who we are. Children of God. I have read that the Swahili word for white man, mazungu, literally means one who spins around or an aimless wanderer. That's how East Africans see us, Westerners turning ourselves dizzy in a great whirl of motion with no direction. We're flurries of going nowhere. Sabbath time invites us to stop turning around and around and around. It invites us, among much else, to remember. And remembering in a way that reminds us of who we are as well as whose we are. It is the necessary groundwork for Sabbath practices, which we're going to dive into more next time. So let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for showing us so much about one day that you have set aside for us, for your people, for yourself. I pray, our Father, that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us, Lord, over the next couple of weeks as we dive further into this. And may we honor you May we honor you by learning how to receive this word and put it into practice the way that your Holy Spirit would lead and guide each one of us individually and our church as a whole. For it's in Jesus' name, the Lord of the Sabbath, I pray. Amen.